yours? Of course it's mine. Whose else would it be? I got lots of them. They're all different too. I'd like to see them. You got them written down somewhere? No, man. I don't write them down. I don't have to. It's a big difference between you and me. Chris Gazzo here with Matt Howell. And on this episode of The First Run, Matt and I are going to f- hang out in one of my favorite decades, the 80s, specifically 1981, Matt. We had Start Me Up, Stop Dragging My Heart Around, Who's Crying Now, or All on the Radio, the theaters feature, Time Bandits, Escape from New York, The Evil Dead, Stripes, and then some whack job gets possessed and kills a landlord, sparking what's known at the time as the trial that shocked America. That's right, folks. It's The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, the latest entry in the wildly successful but extremely hit-and-miss franchise. Then our horror tour continues with the latest from Alexander Asia, one of the members of the French New Wave Horror from the early aughts and his latest film, Oxygen, featuring Melanie Laurent. This time, Aja dabbles more, I think, Matt, in the sci-fi thriller genre with some shoehorned-in horror to keep us horror buffs placated. Then there's big releases on physical media featuring your streaming and straight-to-DVD picks of the week. And then Matt and I are going to close out the show by sharing our five favorite horror films based on a true story. So grab your whoopee, curl up by the fire, and let's settle in for some scares. And let's start everything off with a clip from The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. All right, that's enough. Thank you. Well, these religious objects would have been enough to provoke an inhuman spirit if there was one present. Does that mean he's not possessed? The fact that he can read from the Bible just seals it. So what does this mean then? I'm just crazy. Well, you're not possessed. Well, that's a relief. Matt, why don't you tell the fine folks listening to this wonderful, wonderful little underground podcast, one of the best independent movie podcasts on the planet. (laughs) What is The Conjuring the Devil Made Me Do It all about? So Ed and Lorraine Warren are back, played by Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga, where they are called to exercise an inhuman spirit from a little boy. And during the process, the boyfriend of his sister demands that the spirit come inhabit him and let the boy go, which maybe it does. And he ends up killing his landlord, which he then famously goes to trial and declares that he is not guilty by means of demonic possession, which kicks off the Warrens and trying to prove young Arnie's innocence. 
Matt, so in the second official sequel in the Conjuring franchise, not counting the offshoot films, this time uh, Michael Chavez takes over from James Wan, who did the first two movies. Chavez did that Curse for La Llorona film that I conceptually loved, you know, where we explore the different cultural horror th- stories, right? That could have been really interesting, but that film is dull as the day is long. It is really not very good. And Chavez then, as he said, takes over for Juan in the directorial chair for this film. And I think maybe that's where the problems begin. What are your thoughts on The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It? Yeah, so I was not a huge fan of The Conjuring 2. I think there are pieces of The Conjuring 2 that are work pretty well. Like I thought The Nun was particularly creepy, although The Nun movie by itself was not very good at all. Um, But the main case of that film is not particularly interesting or compelling. And I think we get that again here. What's weird to me is, regardless of whatever you feel about the type of work that Ed and Lorraine Warren used to do, they were, especially as they got later in life, they started to get a reputation as being frauds um, and being what? shysters. Yeah, yeah. So, and it's one thing to think that, like, you truly believe in this stuff, even though it's not real. But you think it is real, so that's something. Whereas there's this this idea that they, you know, knew it wasn't real and they were essentially preying on people. And I think as these cases kind of progress and as they seem to get more cynical in their outlook, they become less interesting. And I think it's really stretching. This is like, and we'll probably talk about this a little bit in our top five at the end of the show, but they're really stretching the whole based on a true story thing because this thing goes out into some wild curses and witches and and all kinds of stuff territory Satanism, where it's yeah. like, yeah, it's like, come on. I mean, you know, you know, none of this happened and they're all building up to this and spoiler alert for something that really happened. I mean, nobody believed Arnie Johnson and he got convicted so of, of, of manslaughter, not murder, but manslaughter nonetheless. So yeah, I think there are some creepy moments in it. I think they keep seem to be diminishing with these actual true conjuring films. Um, I think the final kind of supernatural comeuppance from the the demon or unnatural entity. I thought that was a pretty cool little touch, but it's way too little too late. I will say the next best thing about this is, um, let me just look up this guy's name. I I forgot it, Um, is is, uh, John Noble Mm -hmm. as the priest, um, the kind of retired priest. I thought was actually suitably creepy, and I wish he would have been in the film a lot more. (laughs) Yeah, I love John Noble. Now, of course, you may know him from the Lord of the Rings films. Mm-hmm. And then my, I think, big, though, exposure to him was in that TV show, Fringe, yeah. which was fantastic. I, I've show. been meaning to revisit that, actually, for a while. That's one of the ones where I picked them all up on Blu-ray, and I, I really got to dive back into that. All right, let's get back, though. Conjuring Devil May Do. Matt, I think you make a lot of great points. There's a... a, a I keep fascinating. I want to say a few, but I think I really mean a lot of issues with this movie. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that really troubles me, if you, and I'm not going to, I don't want to try not to be that guy. I really am. But if you look at the reality of the true story that's supposedly based on, this is really screwed up. I mean, Mm. this guy killed somebody. And then they tried to use this demonic possession thing. I think trying to take advantage of the satanic panic that just engulfed this country in the 80s. And I think that 
really adds a dark dimension that the Warrens were willing to buy into this and help propagate this to help to possibly, you know, get a murderer off. And it's mm-hmm. really disturbing when you look at it through that lens. But if we want to, let's just move then just to the focus on the cinematic portion of this and just kind of put that aside because the more I think about it, the creepier it gets and it's, it just angers me. I think this film trips up a bunch of different places. So, A, it doesn't take advantage of the satanic panic that was starting here in the 80s. That was, I mean, Matt, you were around then. You were much, much younger than me. But there mm-hmm. was a real fear in this country that you mm-hmm. could get snapped up off the street and sacrificed in a forest to Satan. Oh, yeah. So, it does almost nothing with that. And then there is the, they kind of, you look at the trailers they kind of lean a bit into the courtroom drama aspect of the film too, which is mostly non-existent and inert when we finally do do it. It basically just exists to change the color palette of the movie. All of our daytime scenes basically take place in the courtroom and everything else is dark and stormy nights. And I, I, I miss Juan's touch here. I hesitate to use this term, but he's a master at this stuff. Those first two films, I think, are rock solid and terrifying. And there are some well-placed scares in here. But that's the problem with the film is that it has this great opening. I think the opening of this film is solid. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the film never matches that intensity. Things just kind of unspool. And there's never any real tension. We just kind of just flutter from relatively well-placed scare to relatively well-placed scare as the film plays out. And I just wanted more, right? I wanted more of the occult stuff. I think this series really thrives when Wilson and Formiga dive into the occult investigation of everything. That's when this film, this whole series really comes alive for me. And there's really not a lot of that here. For me, the only real saving grace of the movie is like, I think John Noble is good. Uh, I really like, though, I think Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga. They're enough to buoy this film where it's engaging enough for me to enjoy it. Uh, I pull them out of this, and I think this thing's a disaster. So, I I don't know. Another thing, too, I struggle with, Matt, is what was the point? What was the reasoning behind why our villain does what they do. I understand that geographically there's a proximity between all the victims, but do we ever find out why? No, we don't. I mean, I think. Is it just a, you know, like there's a an implication of occult power and then the victims are just so. random? I believe so. I believe from what I gathered from it is that it's the pursuit of power or because our villain, obviously, if you present him with what's right on the screen, has power, but it's been, it has to be paid for. And I think John Noble describes that the villain needs to do, have X number of victims and they have to fit certain profiles in order for this to work. But you're right. It doesn't, it doesn't explain what the through line is. Like, how does the villain know who know these people or do they just kind of randomly travel the countryside trying to figure, aha, that's the person that fits this profile. Yeah. That doesn't make a lot of sense. So I don't think they ever really tell us how they're related to all these people. Yeah. I just, I don't know. 
That's fine. Uh, my grade is actually probably going to be a little higher, Matt, than yours, and maybe perhaps mm. higher than it should be. I think mm. based strong solely on Wilson Formiga. I mean, they make it palatable. I usually want to be neck deep, Matt, in the occult stuff with this film, and it's mostly cursory stuff in this movie. So yeah. this ended up being like an HBO Max watch through and through. I did go see it in the Dolby Theater okay, because I wanted to get that experience, but yeah. outside of the first 15 minutes, eh, <laughs> did you uh, venture out to the theaters to see it, or did you watch it on Max? No, I think the Conjuring series is is decent for the most part, but I didn't. I was completely fine watching it on HBO Max at home. Yeah, uh, those first two films, I really like both of them. Uh, I rave about those two, and I would say Annabelle Comes Home, really solid too. No, Annabelle were... Creation, you're messing it up. Oh, is it? Am I talking about? You're right. Annabelle Creation is. Yeah. You're right. Is the better one. Sorry. Yeah. There are what three Annabelle films, right? So. Yeah. Two of which are not good. One which is way better than it has any right to be. The second one. That's yeah. Creation. That's the. Yeah. Game. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, but outside of that, I could leave every other film in this franchise behind. I'm going to give Conjuring: The Devil Made Me Do It, Matt, a C plus. Okay. Yeah, I was going to give it um, a C. I agree with you. I really like Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga a lot. I think it's weird that they're kind of saddled with these real life personas. I kind of wish they would start making this stuff up out of whole cloth because I think my favorite of these Conjuring films is Annabelle creation. And the reason I like it so much is because it's completely fictionalized. Like nobody knows really how this supposedly happened with a doll, but what they come up with is freaking great. And it's scary as shit. I don't know. I think I think what they need to do is maybe stop playing up the kind of true life angle of these things and just kind of focus on maybe taking inspiration and then maybe, you know, making something much more coherent as a movie kind of thing. Although I will say the the in credit audio from mm. the from the the supposed the real life audio from the supposed exorcism is creepy as hell. That is pretty creepy listening to that. So no, that's uh, a win at airport. Uh, I'll give him props for that. Absolutely. Yeah, maybe one more film with mm. Wilson and Farmiga. But as long as Juan comes back, they'll wrap it up. And like you say, they come up with some maybe some doesn't have to be some bonkers story, but something yeah. kind of truly terrifying that doesn't maybe necessarily rely on a air quotes true event that I think would be the way to go. We've got a chance to see The Conjuring. The Devil Made Me Do It. Love to hear your thoughts. Shoot us an email at feedback at the first to run dot com. Matt, coming up on physical media this upcoming Tuesday, June 15th. There's some good stuff coming out, folks. So uh, stay tuned and we'll be telling you what you should be picking up. May I help you? Yes. Could I speak to the drug dealer of the house, please? I beg your pardon? It's a beautiful day. And we are killing drug dealers. Are there any in the house? <laughs> You're ready for anything. Wait, where are you going? I'll be back. Ha! You did not gonna say that, did you? That's what you always say. I do? Everybody keeps waiting for you to work it in. It's kind of like your calling card. I understand you're interested in drug dealers. Yes. Jack, that's him, the henchman with the glass side. Sir, are you a henchman? 
No, I only go as far as lucky. That's right, folks. You're getting your regular 4K release, not the Steelbook, but your regular version, which I think includes a slipcase, of the criminally underappreciated John McTiernan classic Arnold Schwarzenegger, The Last Action Hero. So this is one I've been waiting for, Matt. I did not need the Steelbook. I prefer to get this version anyway. So uh, now it is now available. Well, I should say it'll be available on June 15th, this upcoming Tuesday. Also coming out, one of the big releases, Matt, we have Godzilla vs. Kong. Adam Wingard's film gets a steelbook from Best Buy. And there is a 3D Blu-ray version coming out if you are one of those people. Uh, man, that's a quick turnaround. It's basically been a month, right? Includes a bunch of behind-the-scenes featurettes on the making of the movie, including one I'm really excited about, The Rise of Mechagodzilla. I'll be picking this up, Matt, in 4K, but not for a while. I'll probably yeah. sit and wait until Black Friday for this and get it for like 8 bucks. That's probably where I'm uh, floating for that one. Voyagers, featuring Colin Farrell, Ty Sheridan, and Willie Rose Depp is being released, set in the near future. The film chronicles the odyssey of 30 young men and women who are sent deep into space on a multi-generational mission in search of a new home. The mission descends into madness, Matt, as the crew reverts to its most primal state, not knowing if the real threat they face is what's outside the ship or what they're becoming inside it. Five making of featurettes on that one. Michelle Pfeiffer and Lucas Hedges star in French Exit. An aging Manhattan socialite living on what's barely left of her inheritance moves to a small apartment in Paris. Excuse me. Got to warm up for oxygen in Paris with her son and Gato. That's Italian. Includes some deleted and extended scenes. Scream is releasing Kindred. When her boyfriend dies suddenly in an accident, psychologically fragile mother-to-be Charlotte is taken in by his family. But they seem increasingly obsessed with her very every move. Her suspicions grow and panic builds, which is how far will they go in their desire to control her and her unborn baby. Shudders, anything for Jackson is getting a physical release. SAS Red Notice is coming out as an action film starring Sam Hugan and Andy Serkis. A small army of well-trained criminals led by Lazil Antonoff have hijacked the Eurostar deep beneath the English Channel. The Great War of Archimedes is being released. In 1933, a young naval officer and math prodigy uncovers a conspiracy regarding the construction of a Japanese warship for the ongoing World War II. New to Blu-ray? Paramount Presents is releasing Last Train from Gun Hill by Don Sturges, featuring Kirk Douglas and Anthony Quinn, a brand new 6K restoration of that film. Scream Factory is releasing The Awakening, starring Charlton Heston. You get a 2K remaster of that from the Interpositive. They're also releasing The Sphinx, featuring Leslie Ann Down and Frank Langella. Warner Archive is also releasing Zigfeld Follies from 1945, Guns of San Sebastian from 1968. Kino Lorber is releasing the 80s, I believe, TV movie Body Slam, directed by Hal Needham, featuring Dirk Benedict, Tanya Roberts, Roddy Piper, Lou Albano, and Charles Nelson Riley. I wonder what that's about. Kino Lorber is also releasing Take This Job and Shove It, featuring Robert Hayes and Barbara Hershey, as well as David Keith and Eddie Albert. That was part of that whole kind of cannonball run vein of comedy movies in the early 80s. They're also releasing The Railway Children, Set during the early part of the 20th century, Railway Children tells the emotional stories of a father wrongfully imprisoned, a mother who demonstrates bravery, and a cheerful disposition for the sake of her three children. Scorpion is releasing One Potato, Two Potato from 1964, a drama about interracial marriage in the 1960s. Get a brand new 4K restoration of that film. And then, Matt, they're putting out a Parks and Rec Blu-ray set, previously only available on DVD, but one of my favorite comedies... Parks and Rec is getting a Blu-ray release. Mm -hmm. I think in the end, I prefer Parks and Rec over The Office. 
Uh, yeah, I think I absolutely do. And 30 Rock, maybe even. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I really like Parks and Rec a lot. A lot more than I like The Office, for sure. Yeah, especially you got to get past, I think it's that midpoint of the second season. Mm -hmm. I think it's when Parks and Rec really takes off. Yeah. Good times. Fun fact, uh, Pawnee, Indiana is based off of West Hartford, Connecticut. Eagleton is is based off. Yeah, that's where he grew up. That's where, and Eagleton is based off of Simsbury, Connecticut, which just blows my mind because it's nothing like that at all. (laughs) (laughs) I did not know that. Yeah. All right, you get some other 4K releases. We're talking about Last Action Hero getting that regular non-steel book push. In the Line of Fire, the Clint Eastwood film, one of his better uh, later efforts, though that one's directed by Wolfgang Peterson. That's the one where he plays a Secret Service agent. Uh, Gattaca, a beloved sci-fi cult film that I have never seen, getting a 4K release. So good. Everybody should go watch that if you've never seen it. And then you get some steel book releases of Sicaria, Dennis Villanueva's film. These are 4K one is, I think, a general release, and then Target has an exclusive Blu-ray steelbook release of Sicario coming out. Your straight-to-DVD pick of the week, Matt, I'm going to go with Snuff Kill, also known as Screen Kill. Another SRS ritual release, Doug is an avid horror fan, and Rallis is the lead singer of a theatrical rock band. Together, they set out to make their own horror movie, but during the filming of a murder scene, the special effects turn out to be all too real, and Doug discovers the sinister side of his partner, Rallis. And his own fascination with real-life horror. Bonus features include news clips, bloopers, alternate scenes, trailer, director's commentary, deleted scenes, and more. Matt, what should we be streaming this week? I'm going to recommend a new series available on Netflix that just came out last week. It is called Sweet Tooth, based on the comic by Jeff uh, Lemire, Vertigo comic of the same name. It follows, essentially, a post-apocalyptic U.S., Um, After a pandemic, seems to kill off a large portion of the population, but any children that were in utero at the time of the infection outbreak are born with animal-like features. And when I say animal-like features, they may have pig noses, they may look like cats. And this one follows the story of a child who was secreted away into the woods who has antlers growing out of his head Um, and he in the adventure to go look for his mother. It's actually a pretty good sci-fi very strange at times but also pretty pretty heartwarming at the same time it's a it's a good little show i I recommend checking it out i haven't quite finished it yet though fair enough thank you i saw that popped up and i think it's like in the top three of netflix Mm -hmm. over the weekend or something like that too so yeah all right folks so we're gonna go ahead and continue our tour through some horror-esque stuff this time with alexander asia's latest film are you ready matt here we go oxygen no is that the that's probably a very poor French pronunciation of oxygen. <laughs> I don't know. That's, is it oxygen? 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 That works for me. Pan system. Niveau d'oxygène à 35%. Chou. Je suis votre médical interface de liaison opérateur, Milo, programmé pour répondre à tous vos besoins médicaux. Qu'est-ce qui se passe Pourquoi je me souviens de rien Vous êtes dans un état de grande agitation. Aimeriez-vous un sédatif Je vais sortir. Je vais sortir. 
Matt Melanie Laurent is a woman who wakes up in an airtight medical cryogenic unit and discovers she's trapped as the oxygen in her pod is slowly running out. But there's a fun little twist too, Matt. She has no idea who she is. So she has to solve the mystery of who she is and that maybe help find a way to get out before the oxygen runs out. Seems pretty straightforward. We see these kind of buried alive movies every couple of years. There was one mm-hmm. day with Ryan Reynolds that was actually pretty effective a few years ago, right? So uh, this seems to kind of pop around every now and then. And this is Asia's take. This film set slightly at some point in the future. I don't want to spoil it, Matt, because I think one of the great successes of this film is that I really had no idea what was happening. Mm-hmm. And I think Asia disguises what's happening in this film exceptionally well. It is very imaginatively plotted out, and I really appreciate that by him. Now, I like Asia a lot. I really love his kind of the, the film that really blew him up initially, which is High Tension, part mm-hmm. of that French new wave and horror. A lot of people hate that film because logically it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Right. But you kind of just got to go with it. And if you do, then I think you you will uh, enjoy the ride that is that film. So I think now Laurent Matt is basically she's the only one in this film. Matthew Almerich plays the Milo, which is the OS of the pod, the operating system. Mm-hmm. But really the film lives and dies on her because they're trapped in this pod. And I think she carries this film exceptionally well. As things are revealed, she has her minor wins and losses coupled with these devastating reveals. These movies can be a little difficult sometimes to match. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a bottle movie, right? Where everything kind of takes place in this one contained area. But Laurent is great in this thing. And as I said, I think Asia lays out this mystery very well. What are your thoughts of Oxygen? I, I, ox, Oxygen. <laughs> o2. O2. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head insofar as this this movie walks like a tightrope, right? So it's basically one person. She's trapped in this small, confined space. She can't really go anywhere. She can't really do anything. So really everything kind of lives and dies on that premise. And I think ultimately this is pretty successful. I think there's a lot of clever little touches in the pod um, that kind of come around Mm -hmm. that really kind of ramp up the tension, her ability to actually speak to this kind of unfeeling machine um, as kind of like her only companion is, is really a nice touch as well. And ultimately, you know, the twist, um, I don't want to toot my own horn here, but while I didn't get a lot of the specifics of the twist, when all of this was kicking off, I was like, I bet she blank and I turned out to be right. I was just amazed with myself when that happened. We'll have to talk about it off air because I'm curious how much of this you figured out. So uh, Very little. Just just the location, the broader location of of where her pod was. But... Yeah, I think um, the science fiction trappings are very effective. The the performance is 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 top notch. It really kind of brings along the whole idea of claustrophobia, and kind of how this thing is working against her. And there's just this kind of constantly ticking clock about what's like she's got to do something because she's she's uh, going to be dead very shortly. So yeah, I I thought it was quite good. I thought I thought it was very very enjoyable. So I I agree with you. I think there's if they have any one issue with the film, and it's I think what I said in the very opening of the show today, is that some of the stuff feels a little shoehorned in. 
And I think I'm talking specifically about the scares. I think the horror element, outside of the tension of the running out of oxygen, right? But the introduction of the things that may or may not be in the pod with her. And then there is one major jump scare in this film. And that, it just didn't feel organic to me. It felt very planned out and forced. Like, we need to get this moment in here, so let's do this then. And uh, so that was one of the one thing I really kind of struggled with with the film. I think it makes sense in the script, I guess. It's just the execution and the implementation of it is what I have a problem with. Overall, Matt, I think it's a thrilling genre exercise. I think it's one of the better entries in this kind of buried alive genre trope. I think that's really due to, A, Laurent's performance. I think it's uh, Amorik's also kind of just straight, you know, OS delivery of information, which is frustrating at times, but also a, a release for the audience and other moments as well. And really, Asia's wildly, as I said, imaginative plotting that kind of kept me guessing, minus the occasional stumble, but I think, which includes maybe a final act that's a tad over the top. And I say the final act, maybe I'm talking about basically our, our exit screen, right? The closing of the film. So, uh, but overall, though, I rather enjoyed this too. It's got a score by Rob, I want to point out, for the uh, film score geeks like me, which is solid. But if you want to hear one of the greatest synth scores of the past like 20 years, you check out his score for Maniac, the remake uh, featuring, um, what's his name there? Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood. Thank you. Uh, Lucas Haas was in my head. And I'm like, I know that's clearly not it. But yes, uh, the one featuring uh, Elijah Wood. That score is a banger. If you like horror synth scores, that's like Carpenter level good. So uh, anyway, overall, Matt, I, I rather enjoyed Oxygen. I, I gave it a I gave it a B. Yeah, um, I'm right there with you. I think I'm going to give it a B as well. It's a really solid film. I think it does have a, a few... You know, it has a few things against it insofar as uh, some stretching of uh, the imagination. Um, and obviously, this has all kind of been done before, but it's it's done, executed really, really well. And I think it's an enjoyable thing if you can, if you're terrified of being in claustrophobic spaces, it's a good way to care, scare yourself while you watch it. There you go. All right, folks. Uh, Oxygen is currently streaming on Netflix. If you've had a chance to see it, shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. All right, Matt, let's go ahead then and jump into our five favorite horror films based on a true story, mostly, kind of. And of course, I did something a little different with my list just to uh, drive people crazy. Here's one that didn't make the cut for me, though. <laughs> How you make this place is amazing. <coughs> Can't believe they just walked in. Left all this stuff here. Plenty of places like this all over the outback. Thousands of them. Places people have forgotten about. Supposed <clears throat> to be a whole town out there somewhere. Got lost in a six-month dust storm back in the 40s. People just walked away. I heard of blokes getting lost in their own farms. You know, just never found their way out. On their own property? Uh-huh. It's amazing. Oh, there's one up here crosses three states, right? Takes six days to drive across. No. I, I, I used to work out there once. What'd you do there? Head shooter. You know, clear in vermin. Roos, horses, pigs, buffalo, you name it. No work there no more. Use poisons, you know, instead of shooters. Matt, that of course is from 2005's Wolf Creek. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen Wolf Creek? I have. It's been a really, really long time. Um, while I was kind of researching with this list, this kept coming up. I didn't put it on my list though because I could barely remember anything about it. 
Yeah, it's 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 solid, though it's very, very violent and gory. Same with the sequel. There's a TV show, too, that I think is... Is it on Hulu? I'm not quite sure. But I'm going to try to check that one out, too. So that one's loosely based on basically two people who killed some backpackers in the outback. Uh, the uh, They came up with the uh, screenplay uh, by basing it off of Ivan Milat and then Bradley Murdoch. So good times. That's why I don't go backpacking in the outback. <laughs> so Matt, why don't you start us off? And I'm gonna, let me set up my parameters again. I'm sorry. Okay, uh, for the most part, my five films are movies that either aren't that well known or okay. you don't a lot of people don't know that they're loosely based on true stories. Okay. All okay. right. And I have my cliched list as well, but okay. um because that's a problem is a lot of these are like all-time classics. So I yeah. didn't want to, you know, way too heavy into that. So what you got yeah. number 5? All right. So I will quantify this as that a lot of my list is very very loosely based. Um it's more like I would say inspired by true events, but we'll get to that. Although I didn't put any restrictions on Lesser well-known, so we'll see what kind of overlap we have. Okay. All right. So my number five um, is um, I kind of waffled back and forth because this movie is kind of weak in areas, but I do remember it scaring the crap out of me because after watching it, I kept waking up at three in the morning, which is apparently when demons come around, which makes mm-hmm. sense in the uh, in the if you watch the film. But it's um, the Exorcism of Emily Rose. It's based on the true story of Annalise Michel, who was a German woman who was put, was supposedly, her family believed that she was possessed by a demon. She was given exorcisms and Annalise uh, passed away, basically from neglect, from malnutrition and um, dehydration while her family tried to basically starve the evil out of her. And the family and the priests who performed the exorcism were put on trial in um in germany and this is kind of loosely based on that it's been transferred to america but it is kind of takes the 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 framework of that and put it out there much like the film we just watched um it has like i said it has moments in it that are really really effective parts of it that are really really creepy so um i put it on there as my number five because it's really the closest one i could think of that it was really based on a true event as opposed to like the conjuring ones which we've already talked about Right. Yeah, no, that's solid. It's got a great cast. Also, I think it's one of Scott Derrickson's first films, so you may know mm. from uh, the Doctor Strange movie. Oh. So, Matt, my number five, then, is John McNaughton's film, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, based on Henry Lee Lucas, who confessed to over 600 murders, but they found out that he really didn't. He was more confessing and making up a lot of that, but he still killed a whole bunch of people. <laughs> and uh, the film uh, featured uh, Michael Rooker, one of the greatest character actors possibly of all time, and his most disturbing role in a low-budget, really just offending film, Matt, initially received an X rating from the MPAA and has a really nasty reputation as an exceptionally controversial film, a very hard watch that will stick to you Possibly forever after you watch it, just in how <laughs> raw and authentic the film feels. So uh, that's my number five. I watched it once, probably 20 plus years ago. Mm-hmm. Never went back to it. But yeah, there you are. Yeah. I've never seen it, actually. I've heard it's got this reputation. It's one of those things that I've meant to watch, but I just, I never seem to be in the mood to watch it. I mean, you feel like you really got to be in the mood for that type of film. And I, I just never have been. I don't know what yeah. that says about me at this point. That means you're healthy. You're okay. All right. There you go. 
glad I'm glad somebody said it. All right, so my number four then um, is a bit is a layup. I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. But it's William Friedkin's The Exorcist. Um, it's based off of the accounts of a boy, a 13 year old boy in the late 40s U.S. Um, named they just described only as Roland Doe. And his experiences with being um, exercised of a, of a demon, exercised by two priests. A lot of the portions of it is violent, vulgar, attacked the priests on multiple occasions, stabbed them with a bed spring that he managed to pull out of the uh, mattress. So the exorcist is, regardless of what you believe, it still freaks me the hell out. I still think it's a scary ass movie. It gives me, it gives me, makes me uneasy going to sleep after watching it every single time, no matter how many times I've freaking seen it. But I, I think it's a, just a fantastic, one of the few artsy type of horror films that you know people have a, have a broader respect for. So I felt like we had to put it on the list, even though it is, like I said, a bit of a layup. Obviously, that's going to likely show up in my cliched list, right? I don't, mm-hmm. it's, it's just, it's plain unavoidable. So my number two then is Antonia Bird's 1990 Western horror film, Ravenous, featuring Guy Pearce, Robert Carlyle, a really creepy dark almost i think black comedy at times as well robert carlisle basically plays a cannibal stalking uh this group of people it's loosely based on the donner party and then of course alfred packer as well um not a lot of people have seen Raven. it's kind of it's got a cult following and i believe there's a scream factory release of it right now but it is a very effective uh little horror film exceptionally well done so it had to make my list i had to get some ravenous promotion out there it's my number four yeah ravenous is pretty good um i think it was on netflix for a long time yeah it's very very good little film so my number three this is where we're getting to the territory where it's very loosely based on a real thing so just go with it guys uh, because i wanted to throw because when i heard about the story a long time ago it freaked me the hell out but so we're going to talk about wes craven's a nightmare on elm street and he got the idea for this story after reading about something called sudden unexplained death syndrome, where there were a bunch of Cambodian refugees who were fleeing the genocide in Cambodia, who were, ha- were each having these nightmares of some kind of evil entity was chasing them in their dreams. And they were convinced that if they were caught by this entity, they would die and they refused to go to sleep. And eventually these four or five individuals they all ended up dying suddenly in their sleep of unexplained causes, which obviously I think they've uh, linked to something called Braguda syndrome, which I guess is like a heart palpitation thing. But it was, but the, the idea, the seed of that, that brought it into Nightmare on Elm Street, which when I was a kid was super scary of being killed in your sleep, that the fact that it was, has some even slight basis in reality is scary as shit. Absolutely. That actually is my number two. But oh, I'll okay. just mention it now that I agree. Now, I read it was just a young boy, not a uh, family or a group of people that had yeah, suffered from uh, that. So I've read a couple different things. Now, the specific case that Wes Craven read about was about a particular young boy, but apparently there were other Cambodian refugees that were having the same thing. Insofar as that it didn't used to be called sudden unexplained death syndrome, it was called Asian unexplained death syndrome because it was multiple Asian people from Cambodia, Southeast Asia that this was happening to. Yeah. So, yep. That's why too. I don't know how people know that story, but that is terrifying and ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
All right, so that was my number two. So go ahead. We'll I'll tell you, I will just swap it out, or nah, it doesn't okay. really matter. So go ahead. Okay. Next. All right. All right. So my number two is um, so even though the film, the original film, is not that good, we've talked about it before. But our buddy Wes Craven comes back around again with The Hills of Eyes, which Alexander it was it Asia who did the, the remake that we both liked so much, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Even the sequel to that is pretty good, but is that it? Asia remake of The Hills of Eyes is even, I think it blows away the original. Okay. So what this is loosely based on is the the legend of, of a guy named Sonny Bean in Scotland where he and his family were, because he and his wife were kicked out for whatever reason. They were banished from their village and they decided that they were going to, they found a, a sea cave and they, during high tide, the sea cave the entrance was covered and at when it low tide, when it would go out, they would sneak out, attack people traveling on the road, kill them, take them, take all their possessions and then take them back to the cave and eat them. And apparently they did this for years and years and years. Um, so far as they had an entire family of children that lived this lifestyle that were basically eating people to well, they eventually they had tried to catch somebody and they were caught. And executed summarily without trial, very gruesomely, I might add, um, in the 16th century Scotland. So that is just a wild story. And it's just uh, the fact that it's something that's crazy as cannibals living in the hills with the hills of eyes is based on true fact is is pretty disgusting. Yeah, I had left it off of my list that was an honorable mention because when I was putting the list together, I just felt it was too tangential. I thought mm. the focus of the Hills of Eyes was more the radioactive fallout mutant thing that was stalking mm-hmm. family. But the more you describe it and the more we talk about it, I don't know. Maybe I should have put it on there. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. So my originally my number three was uh, The Stepfather starring Terry O'Quinn. Not just a critique of Reaganism, but actually based on a real sort of a true story. So um, one of the better uh, early mid '80s kind of uh, um, I don't think it was straight to DVD, but you know independent horror films. Interior Quinn really shines in this role. I mean that movie is creepy as hell and really holds up to this day. Don't watch that remake; it is just a disaster. But the original one, and then even the sequel, is exceptionally well done too. So um, I wanted to give some love to the original Stepfather. Have you seen that one? No, I have not seen the original Stepfather. So the guy, right, he just takes on new identities and his goal to make the the real, the true, pure family. Mm, he finds okay. these women with children, marries them, and when things don't quite go the way he hopes, everybody gets killed. <laughs> yeah, kills them and try again, I think. Exactly. Start over. Yeah. There you go. What are you going to do? You know what? Sometimes you just got to, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know? That's just <laughs> yes. what the way it happens. <laughs> Um, all right. So my number one, when we talked about this, I, this, this list idea, this is the one that immediately jumped to mind. So of course I had to put it in there, but I think it will make it on the cliche list for Chris's list. But, um, so this is going to be Toby Hooper's, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, extremely, extremely loosely based on the exploits of Ed Gain, who was, I believe in Wisconsin, who, he murdered a few people, but what he's really not- not- notorious for is that he was also a grave robber, and um, he would go out, dig up graves, and he would make things out of the cadavers. Um, he had multiple human skin masks. He had lampshades made out of skin. He had a belt made out of nipples. Um, he had bones decorating his bedposts and things like that. So 
really gross. Um, and it obviously was an inspiration for the kind of uh, cannibalistic let's make things um, part of uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which I love, by the way. Mm, yeah, no, that is you're entirely right about my list as well. So my number one, I went back and forth on this one, Matt. Because is it classified really as a horror film or more okay. of a thriller? Okay. But in the end, I think the opening of this film, when the Zodiac Killer approaches mm. that young couple, mm-hmm. is some of the most terrifying cinema I think I've seen. Yeah. So uh, that's it. It's Zodiac is my number one. I mean, it's probably the most obvious answer outside of of course you know my cliched list which i'll tell you right now it was conjuring the first film mm-hmm. i like it that mm-hmm. much psycho poltergeist texas chainsaw massacre and the exorcist okay so but yeah i don't know i just zodiac has really grown on me over the years when i first watched it, i thought oh wow that's really good and in every subsequent rewatch it gets better and better so i decided to make that one my number one it's the most obvious i guess but of the ones on my list. Yeah. Still, yeah, it's, uh, that's it. That's my one. Yeah. It definitely would have made my very high on my list. Might even have been my number one, but I kind of went back and forth of whether it's really a horror film. So that's why mm-hmm. I didn't put it on the list. Um, but I completely, I'm completely okay with you getting to that point that I did not. I appreciate that. Do you have any honorable yeah. mentions? So the only thing that I want to mention that, um, hasn't been mentioned um, so far is the birds. Apparently Hitchcock read a story about a bunch of that, like hundreds or maybe thousands of seabirds attacking a, a California town. Um, And he went so far as to call up the paper who reported the story and says, I'm going to make a movie out of this. And he did, which is just wild to me. That's that's, you know, something so fantastical as the birds has at least some nugget of, of uh, reality. Um, When in, in, in fact, which is just crazy to me. There you go. And that's a great pick as well on my honorables. Uh, I have The Sacrament by Ty West, which mm. is loosely based on Jonestown Massacre. Some people, it can be a little slow at times, mm-hmm. but I think it's it's pretty well done. Borderland, which is a little uh, a Mexican horror film from 2007, I think is very good as well. And um, I think we mentioned everything else. And I just want to put out there that the uh, Amityville horror movie, trash. Yeah, horror. they're not good. None of them Man, are, but especially that first one is yeah, really terrible. Bad. Yeah, and I and I it blows my mind because I'd heard about how scary Amityville was. Yeah, after watching the movie, I was like, oh, that's terrible. So I went and read the book. I'm like, okay, this is gonna be scary, and it's so childlessly rich. It's like it's so bad. Like it's so obviously fake. It just it just drives me crazy that people thought this stuff was a real and b scary. You know, it's I, terrible. I, I read that scared the heck out of me when I was, I actually read the original exorcist book. I think I was in middle school. I was in like mm. seventh grade and I got to read mm. it for a book report. Yeah. And, uh, that was, that was creepy. I think I actually also read jaws too. Yeah. That was really good too. Well, what makes jaws so scary is that because sharks are real and they will, yeah. they can potentially eat you while you're in the, the ocean. That's why jaws is scary. Bad times, man. Mm-hmm. Bad times. What makes your list of your favorite horror films inspired by true events? Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Next week, well, Matt's not going to be around next week. going to be a lot of disappointed uh, listeners. Perhaps I shouldn't have said that because they may just abandon the show for the week. But Well, you know, I mean, maybe yeah. you can get a good guest. Well, we, we do have uh, a guest lined up. The, uh, oh, the nice. bank shot that is... For me, because a screen run 
the lady Juan will be sitting in to discuss in the heights and uh the woman in the window so we'll mm. be tackling those next week so you can look forward to that in the meantime you can find us on facebook and twitter and instagram youtube do a search for the first run scroll 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 eventually you'll find us uh please head on over to apple Podcasts and give us a review it'll help other people find the show and uh, we will read that review on the air and that's it matt you enjoy your time away we will see you in a couple weeks everybody else take care of yourselves get vaccinated if you haven't yet we'll see you soon This isn't a steak. Why would you call it that on your menu? I don't know what to tell you, man. Just give me all the bacon and eggs you have. Wait, wait. I worry what you just heard was, give me a lot of bacon and eggs. What I said was, give me all the bacon and eggs you have. Do you understand?